This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already know. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast. This is Season 7, Episode 9. I am John DiCarlo. Joined this week by Sam Cohn and Dante Colinelli. Kyle Gauss is off this week. What's going on, guys? Not a whole lot. Life's been good. We have some exciting things to talk about today. That's good. Wednesdays are my long days. So I'm kind of exhausted. But then that, life's been good. What are you, Dante? Yeah, same here. We got. I'm just uh, happy to talk about stuff. We got a good matchup this week. Got some news on the, uh, the big, big athletic director front. So it's an exciting show. It's going to be cool. Yeah, we've got a uh, Temple's win over Memphis to recap. We'll preview Friday night's game against Cincinnati, clearly Temple's biggest test to date. And Temple has a new athletic director in Arthur Johnson. He is the senior uh, senior associate athletic director at Texas who had really been overseeing uh, administrative op- operations and facilities. So he will be replacing uh, Fran Dunphy, who had been the interim acting athletic director since Pat Kraft left to go up to uh, Boston College. So we'll have a little bit more on that later in the show. Sam, do you want to tell everybody about how you no. sent me the audio? But I'm just going to blow right past this. So <laughs> this would be the week, episode nine, to call it the Teddy Williams episode. Correct. But what does our boy Sam? Hey, let, let's talk about this. You feel good about the Red Sox right now. What do you care? Yeah, um, yeah. I, uh, you sent, you sent me, you I sent edited. me the audio. Yeah. And it's the, you called it the Teddy Williams episode. I said, except he never wore number eight <laughs> that I, we know I, of. I Maybe edited he did in little season, league. season's episode, season seven, episode eight. I edited first thing in the morning. Uh, that is the only excuse I have for why I butchered that. I very much knew that Ted Williams wore number nine, but everybody makes mistakes, I guess. That was, that one, <laughs> that one's on me guys. <laughs> Dante's, Dante's I, yeah, giving you like a Ray Liotta look on his face right now. I'm like trying to like not just like take over the podcast with a loud laugh. So that's like me holding back. And no, you also like, vote. it was, uh, yeah, not, laughing not at great, the same time. Not a great look on my part, but the Red Sox beat the Yankees nail wild cards. So nobody can say anything to me. Um, nobody's allowed to say anything. Other number nines, Rajon Rondo. Any yeah. others? Anyone Dante, what any number words? nines come to mind for you? Drew Brees. It's probably the first one for me. Nick Foles, if you're a Philadelphia Eagles fan, which I'm sure a lot mm-hmm. of you are. Never yeah. heard. Um, when I was on <laughs> when I was <laughs> you're bitter. When I was on with uh I did my weekly interview with Pat Egan from the Fanatic, and I we were talking about number nines, and I said the Rodney Pete episode. Rodney was a eventually started for the Eagles for a little bit, but I thought, why did I talk about him as number nine before up, Nick Foles? Did you randomly bring up number nines or was that in relation to our podcast? Pat did because he always, he always gives our podcast a plug uh-huh. and he said, and he, he likes the, the numbers. He likes the numbers game. Well, I explained to Dante the other day in class, why we do this every episode, like how it started story for another podcast. What, what, What's going to happen when we get to season seven, episode 10, and you're going to call it the Tom Brady podcast. <laughs> like, Sam, just, just stop it. Stop. Okay, stop. now I might pivot and just try to get them wrong every single time. 
season seven, episode 30, the Larry Bird podcast. <laughs> like, where, where did you, did you live in Boston with your eyes closed? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair. And, and your ears covered. To be fair. To be fair. When Ted Williams and Larry Bird both played, I was not alive. <laughs> uh, he's got I a good point alive. there. I, I, I wasn't alive when Ted Williams played, but I know he wore number nine. Do you want to go back in time to, to be like a, an old school, like 40s radio guy? Ted Williams wearing number nine steps to the plate. <laughs> that was pretty good. You too. That was good. That was good. Wait, 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 John, that was pretty good. Short porch and right field. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's impressive. A Kyle warm, will be making fun of you right now. Warm but... July night. The three-two pitch. John, I think you were born in the wrong era. I think you probably I think you chose the wrong profession. Probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> probably. You guys just need to go back and watch some just some old school, like depression era paperboy voice. Like you have extra, extra, read all about it. <laughs> Stuff like that. You know, not to uh extend the random talk of our pod, but uh do you remember when there there was that one reporter that went up to LeBron in a practice with some old timey voice? Yeah, forget exactly what he said, but that's that's that was the first thing I thought of. John, when you oh, yeah, that, I'll have to Google. I'll have to Google that when we get off. That sounds well, great. Then usually that that or like that those those uh, Super Bowl week press conferences are usually good for for something like that. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, if you watch uh, like sixty one or any old baseball movie or something like that. 42 also the, the 42 voice yes, res, yes. Uh, yeah. resembles the announcer i don't forget who the actor was that played moving him, but... around like a cat on a hot tin roof <laughs> <laughs> i just uh, should we edit this out we'll keep it what the hell we'll keep it all right temple football. A- anyway let's get this uh over to temple sports which we should be talking about um so Heading into Friday night's game against a very, very good Cincinnati team, uh, Temple is coming off a 34-31 win over Memphis, which I predicted, Kyle predicted. Dante looked at me last week, and I think he said something to the effect of, like, John, why do you feel this way? Or something like that. And I thought Memphis' defense was vulnerable. I kind of just felt like Temple was going to bounce back. I think I said 31-28 on a late um, – Geez, I almost said Aaron Bumeri field goal. Aaron Bumeri has not played at Temple in a couple of years. He's up at Boston College and he's hurt now. Uh, on a late uh, Roy Bell field goal, but they end up winning 34 um, 31. What stands out about this one, guys? Again, it's not, I don't think this is maybe the Memphis team of, you know, a couple seasons ago or last season, but still an impressive showing on, on, on several fronts uh, in the conference opener. They obviously still have not to sound like a coach, but they still have a lot of stuff to clean up, but you know, for, for the course of at least the next week, they, they get to change the conversation about their season. Uh, Dante, I'll start with you. What, what impressed you? What do they still need to work on? Yeah. Well, I, I guess I'll start by submitting my formal apology to you and Kyle. For, oh, I don't care. <laughs> for predictions. Predictions are, predictions are I, worthless. I blamed you guys for that. And you know, here I am looking like an idiot. Um, I, I think it was wildly impressive that they were able to, to come back and win. I think even more so that it was 17, nothing game, which, you know, I ironically did get that part of the prediction, correct. That they would fall <laughs> behind yeah. early, but um, I think we saw like some growth 
from this team almost as you know how they work as a unit uh one of the major themes this year in press conferences and even on the show has been how does this team regulate you know the highs and lows of playing college football it seems like they've really struggled with that right when they've gotten low things have just kind of snowballed out of control and then in some games they came out too high and they let teams jump on them early so uh, it was good to see them kind of fall behind here, but then have the wherewithal, the the ability to band together as a team and and make that comeback. And I'm not one who's uh, typically like into that whole like, oh, team chemistry, big deal type thing. Like, that's not really my thing. I'm a film guy. But you, you kind of saw that, right? Like this team came back. They were down 17 nothing. And like it was a demoralizing 17 nothing. Like they couldn't get like seven inches from their own 30. And then Memphis came back like two plays later and threw a 30 yard touchdown pass. Like it wasn't like, oh, you know, they hung around and some balls bounced the wrong way and they're down 17 nothing. It was a demoralizing 17 nothing. And this team rallied before the half to tie it. And then they they outscored them in, in the uh, second half. Mont Anderson had the game clinching touchdown. So um, outside of the film, outside of the individual performances, I just thought it was really, really good to see them bounce back as a team and kind of show that resiliency that they don't, they're not going to quit. They're not going to just let every game snowball out of control. You know, I think all of us on the podcast last week talked about how, you know what, they just need to come out and compete, right? They need to show that they belong with some, at least a solid team. We'll say from this conference, I think that's fair to call Memphis a solid team. Um, So I think overall really, really encouraging showing, obviously, very important that they won this game. This was kind of, you know, Kyle's phrase was fork in the road game, right? So winning this game kind of changes the course of the season a little bit. So I, but I thought the most important part is that they rallied, they stood together and and they kind of showed that, all right, you know what, we're not going to fall behind in every game this year and just get our doors blown off. Sam, before I get to you, let's stop right there because I think one of the, like, if we're, if again, if we're producing this podcast for a Temple fan base, we know how irate the fan base has been. And again, when you lose 61-14 in the opener, two Rutgers, a team and a program that you want to recruit against, it's not a good look. Then you beat a bad Akron team, you lose and you're not really, you know, it, we've said this before in the, in the Rutgers game, they were competitive to a certain point and then boom, it changed way too quickly. They lose 28 to three to Boston college. They beat a bad FCS Wagner team and you start hearing whispers here and there. I talked to this guy, I talked to this person and this person says that, you know, the team is starting to quit on Rod Carey. I I mean, I think we can very safely say this is there. There's not a mass mutiny right now. If, if the team overcomes a, a 17 point deficit and wins 34 31 and shows a lot of character and coming back uh, to, to beat again, as Dante said, a, a solid team, uh, so again, they get to change the conversation about their season, but I was impressed with that too, just the resiliency. I mean, teams do need to learn how to win and, and overcome sudden change. Uh, I think in a game that he otherwise called pretty well, I did not really get Mike Uremovich's decision, whether it was his decision or Rod Carey's decision to go for it on fourth and one and then run out of the pistol, where like Dante said, they couldn't even get you know half a foot there, a play or two later, Memphis scores and uh, so it turned out to be a bad call, but they rebound. But what did you think of their response coming, you know, being down 17, nothing, and then coming back to win the game? I, I wholeheartedly agree with Kyle's uh, note last week that this was kind of like a fork in the road game uh, for Temple and wh- who Temple is objectively not a first quarter team clearly through five games. They have not shown that they no. have been able to come out in the first quarter and do anything extremely productive, but two things. One, I think it was Keyshawn Paul that said post game, uh, after beating Memphis, that when they were down 17-0, the energy was still there on the sidelines. He felt like they were still all 
kind of saying to each other, you know, we're very much still in this game. There's a lot of football left to be played, which, you know, whatever it is, he is saying that, but take it for what it is. But it's encouraging that he at least feels like, you know, there's there's some kind of juice left. John, as you mentioned, no one's like giving up when they're down 17 nothing. Um, and we talk about the resiliency of them to come back from that deficit. Um, I think there's just a lot of the performances on both sides of the ball were indicative of the as Dante mentioned, the growth of this team. If Temple loses to Memphis by one score or four scores, I think we're having a different conversation on this pod than we would if then we are it, considering they won um, because the temple has temples. Other two wins were against, as Dante likes to call them cupcake games uh, Two you know, not very good football teams. And then their other, their two losses came against quality programs. So there wasn't much after four weeks that we were able to really extrapolate and say like, and you know, with the one injuries, the handful of other injuries they've dealt with in the last few weeks, there wasn't a whole lot for us to take away and say, uh, you know, this is trending in the right direction and this is really trending in the wrong direction. It was a lot of they need something or it's just going to go downhill. And this win over Memphis for them kind of changes the narrative of the season of now that's the growth that we've kind of been hinting at, maybe seeing flashes of. That was it. That 17-0 comeback against what is a solid team in Memphis was everything that we had seen flashes of put into one. Um, and it's kind of indicative of like the growth of this Temple football team where Dewan Mathis really has his kind of coming out party as Temple football's quarterback. Uh, the win over Wagner was against Wagner, and then we didn't see a whole lot of him against Rutgers, and it was his first game. This was his first game with reps under his belt um, and, you know, him starting, him healthy against a solid uh, conference opponent, and he played extremely well. Have a handful of other, you know, really solid performance on the defensive side of the ball. So I think the the them coming back from down seventeen nothing uh, is especially indicative of the growth and uh, and shows the resiliency of this program. Dwan Mathis goes thirty five of forty nine for three hundred twenty two yards, three touchdowns. Uh, Dante, what did you what did you see from him? I, you know, I, I wrote this after the game, right? It was like, this is what Temple was promised when Dewan Mathis transferred to Georgia, right? It was this, you know, big athletic kid with a really good arm who's going to be able to make plays. And that that's exactly what he did after they fell behind 17, nothing. I mean, he just stood with it. I, I think one of the things is, is kind of getting to watch Justin Lynch before him. One of the things you notice about Dewan is that for a younger player, he's totally fine just chilling in the pocket. Um, offensive line did a good job protecting him. Obviously, I think they probably had one of their best games of the season on Saturday. I think that's fair to say, at least in pass pro. Mm -hmm. um, but Dwan is also willing to sit in the pocket. He's willing to go through reads. He's letting to he's willing to let things develop. And then when those things don't develop the way that he wants, he's capable of getting outside the pocket and making some plays for you there. So I think you saw a, a good balance between those things, right? Where he stood in the pocket when he needed to, and he bailed when he needed to. Um, and that's going to be something that I, I'm assuming we'll see more variance in going forward. But, you know, this is everything that you could possibly ask for in a college quarterback is what Dewan Mathis gave you on Saturday. I don't think you can ask for much more than what he gave you. Didn't turn the football over, pushed the ball down the field, was incredibly efficient, commanded the offense, didn't take negative plays. And he made some plus plays as well. He made some plays that other quarterbacks would not have made. Uh, Temple hasn't had a guy like that in a minute. So I, I think that if, you know, if this is Mathis, you know, going forward, this is, you know, the type of player that he is. 
I mean, that makes Temple exponentially better. I, I don't even have a good way of quantifying it, frankly, because I didn't think that he was going to be this good this early, you know, so we'll see. But he was great against Memphis. It's going to be about consistency with young players. That's pretty hard. Mathis is a third year redshirt freshman, I think, and he has not played a lot of football. So I'm not sure it's realistic to expect him to be this good uh, going forward. But if this is what he is on the surface, Temple's in good shape. One uh, one quick point, Dante, off of what you said about uh, his performance is really what Temple fans were promised when he transferred from Georgia and everything that he's been talked up about being under center. That 39 yard run really felt like that inflection point of like uh, that was that was the play that was like, okay, yeah, we knew he could kind of throw the ball. We knew he could help drive this team down the field. But when he was able to sit in the pocket for a minute do his check downs, nothing was there. He, he could roll out and then run 39 yards down the field and get out of bounds untouched. I, I think that was the moment that was like, okay, that, that was him proving, I guess now 10 quarters into his career, into his Temple football career, uh, that, that, was, that that's what he's here to do and that's what he's capable of doing. Yeah, he's healthy. I actually think that they should run him more. Um, he's mm-hmm. significantly faster than I thought he was. Like getting mm-hmm. to see him like, up close in person, right? Like scouts like to go to games because like speed sometimes is different in person than it is on film. He is much faster than I thought he was. And if that was him not at a hundred percent, like every short down call should be zone read. <laughs> like, cause mm-hmm. you're going to put the defense really, you're going to stress them out. If that, if that is what he looks like, not healthy, I can't imagine how fast he is healthy. Um, he's got some wheels and I know that they're trying to protect him right now, but if he's like fully back, that needs to be like a, very much an incorporated part of this offense. Yeah, it was going to be my point is he ran out of bounds there and he was asked after the game, the press conference about how his, how his foot or his ankle was feeling. He said, I don't, you know, I don't want to say, but it's clear that he's not quite at hundred percent, but as Sam said, he was smartly able to get out of bounds and um, showed you a little bit of, of what he could do there. And again, the most important thing was he didn't just take the snap and, and run, you know, went through a couple of progressions and that was, Nice to see there Uh, after the game, I asked him just what the, you know, what the win meant to him, a a simple question. But again, if you, if you're a temple fan, you know, or you have an idea of what he's been through. He was a a top 150 recruit in the 2019 class and uh, a, a top five, or I think top five, top seven quarterback in that class comes to Georgia red shirts has uh, emergency surgery to remove a brain cyst then gets the start in last year's season opener, loses his job, doesn't loses his starting job, doesn't get it back, plays in some spot duty and the rest of the season and comes to Temple. So he had a lot to prove. And I asked him about what this win meant to him, what the Memphis win last Saturday meant to him based on what he'd been through. And here's what he had to say. Honestly, it doesn't really mean much to me. It probably means more to the guys in the locker room. I always talk about them because without them, I wouldn't be here. Like the whole line they had to start with them first. Then carry down to the receivers, knowing what they were supposed to be and doing their job. Um, I never try to make things about me. It's more so about the guys in the locker room, like I said before. Um, I mean, I've been through a lot. People go through everything. I'm pretty sure everybody here has been through something that changed their life, some traumatic. But um, just gotta keep going, keep pushing. So again, I I talked about this before, and I don't think it's any sort of you know great analysis here, but I, he really just sounds like a very composed, mature guy. And you know, a lot of his teammates had said that back in, in preseason camp and had said, you know, he did not come in here as some guy who was like, Oh, I was an sec player. You just automatically have to respect me. I think he came into 
came into this program, came into this environment, really wanting to prove himself. And he seems like a very much like an emotionally mature guy that the, the players on the team respect. I was impressed with, with that answer. I think that, you know, even if they, if Temple doesn't win this Friday, which is, which is likely if he plays well and he puts some more positive stuff on film uh, against Cincinnati, I think it's a, you know, obviously another step uh, in the right direction for him uh, and the program. Um, just a couple other minor points before we move along to start uh, talking about Cincinnati here. I, I was impressed with how Yvonne Rigby played at Bubo. They moved him over and they had what Jordan McGee was playing in the middle. Right. And then they had Quenku at the other linebacker spot. Um, Jordan was the will. Right. And, and I believe so. Yeah. Okay. And uh, but yeah, Rigby, a guy that they've, you know, we, we've talked about this young linebacker depth and I think that was another, another positive. We'll talk about the, the defense here again, when you look at the final numbers, you know, it wasn't anything statistically it's going to jump out at you, but they kept, you know, they kept Austin out of the end zone. Uh, they, they came up with what three sacks and uh, you know, created a couple of turnovers. And, and uh, I think it was, you know, again, even though they gave up 31 points with a, a late touchdown there, um, I, I thought it was a step forward for the defense. I don't know if you guys would agree or, or disagree with that. Um, I don't know about like step forward. I, I just think that they like, they played about as well as they could in that situation. Right. Like we kind of knew that like a numbers regression was coming, right. Because they played, you know, the Wagoners of the world and they played, you know, some bad quarterbacks and Grossell and, um, the kid from Rutgers, whose name is Verdell, who's uh, slipped my mind, but you know, we knew like some numbers were going to come, but like they do a really good job, just like keeping things in front of them. Um, if you notice, they just don't give up a lot of explosive plays. Uh, and I think that that has a lot to do with something that we've talked about on the pod before, right. Is they're, they're putting an extra safety on the field. They're using three down linemen. And if you look at their numbers, right, the passing defense numbers are really good. They're the second best passing defense in the American. And then the run defense numbers aren't very good. I think they're ninth in rush defense in the American. So um, but that just is kind of a product of the scheme. They're trying to limit those big plays and they're like, all right, we're going to give teams six yards on this run, but we're not going to let them beat us for 40 behind us. You know, that that's kind of the strategy that they're using. And I think it's working. So, you know, you look at the numbers, you know, they finally gave up a 300 yard passer, but you know, if you watch that game, I mean, it's a lot of like dink and dunk. It's a lot of, you know, quick screens and different things like that. You know, they made Hennigan work for those 300 yards. And at the end of the day, they kept Memphis under their scoring average for the season. So I think, you know, looking at the defense, I mean, they're good. I, I think this is a good group. Um, you know, they have some weaknesses overall, but generally speaking, I think the secondary is good. Uh, John, you mentioned the linebacker group. They've been really good this year and the defensive line has done enough to, to kind of make this a whole, you know, good unit. So I think that they've played well in, you know, relatively speaking every game this season, you know, they've had their moments, you know, I'm not saying they're perfect, but I think, th I think it's a good unit. I, I really do. I think that they're talented and then they're going to keep Temple in games this year. I don't know if I necessarily like say it was a huge step forward for them, but they definitely played the way they needed to play to beat Memphis uh, and to contain them in that game. The only two things I'd say are the uh, up front, they did a good job of getting to Hennigan, uh, especially later in the game. Uh, I don't know the exact number of sacks, but they were, they did a good job pressuring him throughout. And to Dante's point, a lot of those plays, like the first couple, I mean, I think Calvin Austin only had two catches in the first half, but both of them, he, he got nothing after the catch. His yards after catch was pretty limited. So they, as Dante mentioned, they do a good job of keeping guys in front. Uh, and if they do get that catch, they're not, 
blow on blowing them deep for, you know, 40, 50, 60 yard gains. And they did have three sacks in the game. Uh, just made some stuff happen on defense and affected the game. Um, you know, getting, you know, making a couple of plays there, of course, one fumble on Memphis's end looked like it was just pretty much an unforced error, but they come out of Saturday with a 34, 31 win heading into Friday night's game against again, a very, very good Cincinnati team. The Bearcats are fifth in the country in the AP poll this week. They're four and oh, uh, they, you know, as of now, it's still a young season and there's a little bit of parity in, in, Every conference, including the American, but it, this Cincinnati team looks like it has a legitimate shot uh, to become the first non-Power 5 team to make the college football playoff. I, I, of course, will tip this over to you guys in a second. They just look like a very, very balanced team. You know, they've, they've got great players on both sides of the ball. A lot of people uh, focus on Desmond Ritter and his improvement. We'll hear in a second a clip from Rod Carey talking about Cincinnati's quarterback. Uh, Again, Cincinnati and Temple were supposed to play last year, did not. That was the final game of the season that was canceled uh, due to, you know, uh, everything going on with COVID. Two seasons ago, Temple lost in Cincinnati the season. Before that, Temple beat Cincinnati in overtime at the link, and they and they kind of made life tough for Desmond Ritter. They hit him. They, they picked him off in overtime. But this is a Cincinnati offense now heading into Friday's game that's averaging uh, a little bit more than 38 points a game. Uh, almost 412 yards of offense per game. They're 17th nationally in that category. Defensively, they're very, very good. Uh, you know, they, they played a couple of easy games early on in the season. Then they beat Indiana. They were up 17-0 on Notre Dame and then almost lost the game. But there's something to be said for holding on and finding a way to win. And they, and they, uh, they win that game 17-16. And uh, defensively, again, they're, they're allowing less than 15 points a game, 309 yards which is, you know, today's college football, very, very good. Uh, Dante, I'll, I'll start with you. Maybe we'll start with the, start with the quarterback here, Desmond Ritter, uh, a guy who has, has steadily improved over the years. You, you do some scouting work. You look at a lot of quarterbacks. We'll, we'll start with him. Again, he's, he's been very good, very efficient. 1,045 yards passing, nine touchdowns against just two interceptions. Before we started recording, you said he was a, a very good college quarterback. Not sure how high up there he is on, on people's draft boards at this early juncture of the season. But what do you see when you look at him? We'll start with the quarterback and then get into the other aspects of the team. Yeah. I think when talking about Desmond, at least for me, it, it's important to separate the college quarterback versus the potential prospect. Um, as a prospect, I have some like major concerns about his like field processing and accuracy as a college quarterback, he's incredibly good. Uh, this is probably one of the better college quarterbacks that Temple's going to see all year. Um, he's got a bazooka for an arm. I mean, he's just got an absolute howitzer. I, he can make every throw on the field. He's got great velocity. His touch is a little bit suboptimal, but he can get the ball wherever you need it to go. Um, he's also a really good athlete. He will burn you on the ground with his legs. He's a lot faster than people think he is. Um, and he's a smart and physical runner too. He's not afraid to run someone over. Um, he is not a scared quarterback back in the pocket. He's a big kid. He can move people if he has to. Um, so all of those things make him a very dangerous college quarterback. And then John, the other thing is what you talked about, right? Is this an experienced player? This is a four-year starter. He knows this offense, like the back of his hand, you're not going to trick him. You're going to have to beat him. He's seen it all. He's seen everything. I mean, you know, I saw him start as a freshman in college. I'm about to graduate. Like, you know, this is, you know, this is a guy who's, who's seen it all at this point. So 
as a college quarterback, Desmond Ritter is incredibly impressive. He's a winner. He's a gritty guy. You know, Cincinnati can win games that are 15, 13, or they can go out and put up 38 points like they have so far this season. So um, from a college perspective, Ritter's good. This is probably the best quarterback that I would say um, Temple's going to see all year since they didn't get Jerkovich when they played Boston College. Um, as an NFL prospect, I don't know. I'm not that high on him. I, I think that he's got some like major accuracy problems. I don't think he's thrown a pass into the middle of the field in like two seasons. Um, so that's kind of separate. He's going to challenge Temple this week. They, you know, you cannot trick him. You're just going to have to go out there and uh, kind of duplicate what you did in 2018 and get pressure on him, you know, beat him up, make him throw off platform, different things like that. Um, that's going to be the way that you get him off his game. You're not gonna be able to trick him with scheme. He's, you know, that's, you know, Cincinnati will just run it down your throat. If, you know, like they have no problem calling read options six times on a drive. They, they don't care. They'll do it. So I, I think that's where you're at with Ritter, but he's an incredibly good college player. Just to clarify really quickly, I think I said earlier that, yeah, Cincinnati did go up 17-0 on Notre Dame. Notre Dame comes back to make it a 17-16 game. That was not the, the, the final score they held on to. Uh, uh, what did I say 17-16 again? It was a 24-13 final last week. Um, so, uh, again, an impressive win over Notre Dame last week. So they're playing, you know, very well, again, on both sides of the ball. Um, and, again, I think just just on both sides, they've got playmakers all over the place. Maybe not, as Dante said, guys that are, um, you know, like top five, top ten picks. I mean, sometimes if you have a group of five school that's playing this well, you have, a, you have someone on that team that's maybe a first-round pick, and maybe they will at some point. But – they're just really solid all over the place on defense. Their linebackers are really good. Deshaun Pace, 32 tackles, three tackles for a loss, two interceptions. He's a true sophomore, played a lot last year. They also have a UConn transfer uh, on the team. And Darian, uh, Darian Beavers, two and a half sacks at linebacker. Again, Ritter's been solid at quarterback. Uh, at running back, Jerome Ford, 364 yards, averaging you know about 5.4 yards per carries, uh, 5.4 yards per carry, six touchdowns there. Alec Pierce is their top receiver, 15 total catches this year for a shade under 300 yards and a touchdown. Dante, you mentioned getting pressure on Ritter. Do you think they can, you know, against, against Cincy's offensive line? I mean, you, you, you filed the preview for us this week. Uh, do you think they're capable of getting pressure on him? Or, or if they get pressure on him, is Ritter good enough to just kind of create some room in the pocket and, and get rid of the ball? What would you see there? Yeah, I think that they can beat this offensive line in one-on-ones. In I think that they should be able to win some matchups um, up front. I would say that that's probably one of the bigger weaknesses on this offense is the line. There's a lot of um, young players. You know, they lost some guys to the draft and graduation last year, some guys who didn't come back. I think they, they might have had a grad transfer up front off the top of my head. I might be wrong about that, but that's not really the point. Um, I, I think the Temple can win in some one-on-one matchups. The problem with Ritter is that he's a big guy and he's really athletic. So if you do get back there, like you can't just throw yourself at him because yeah. if you miss, he's going to burn you for 20 yards down the field. So you have to be smart. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if Temple comes out and they try to contain him and just keep him in the pocket early in the game. Cincinnati makes that tough because they like to get the ball out of his hands quickly. They don't really run a lot of long developing plays. So you're kind of that that's kind of the chess match that we're going to see between these two teams this week. But yes, to answer your question, I, I do think they can beat the line up front for some pressure. Is there any way Obviously, Temple's a, a, a huge underdog in this game. We'll just kind of get uh, right to the point here. Is there any way Temple can pull off an upset here? And if so, what would it take? 
Um, I, I think that obviously we'd have to see the same Dwan Mathis that we saw against Memphis. Um, you know, he'd have to come out and just play out of his God-given mind. Um, you know, we haven't really touched upon the, uh, like the Cincinnati secondary. They've got like four pros back yeah. there. One of them's probably going to be a first round pick. Mm-hmm. Um, they have some guys up front who are really good. I mean, like this defense is like really something else. Like they are incredibly impressive. They're giving up like 14 points a game, which like yeah. no matter what your competition is, that's an absurd number. Yeah, it's very good. <laughs> Yeah. So um, that would be the big one. Cincinnati's offense, frankly, like doesn't scare me to the point where like, I don't think like, I don't think Cincinnati's going to put up 38 points against Temple's defense this week. Mm-hmm. I don't. Um, I, they're good and they win games, but they capitalize off of turnovers a lot. They get a lot of short fields. They get a lot of possessions too, because the defense forces so many three and outs. They get a lot of cracks at the, at scoring. So, you know, I think Temple's going to have to, um, they're going to have to keep the ball on offense, obviously, but they're going to have to score. Like you cannot kick field goals against number five, Cincinnati. If it's fourth and five from the 30, they better be going for it. <laughs> I do not want to see Rory Bell trotting out onto the field. No, no offense to Rory, but you know, if you are trying to win, if they are trying to win this game, like you can't be kicking field goals there. So that would be it for me. Math is going to have to have a career night. Um, and then the defense is going to have to keep Cincinnati's offense in check. I feel much better about the second one than the first one. I think the easy answer Sorry, John, real quick. No, I think okay. the, the easy answer for uh, if Temple has any kind of shot in this game is they can't come out in the first quarter and fall behind by 17 points or mm-hmm. by 14 points, or they can't fall behind at all. If, if this is going to, if, if Temple's going to come anywhere near winning this game, they have to go pound for pound with Cincinnati. It ha- it's going to have to be a shootout. Uh, they're going to have to, ma- they're going to have to at least contain Cincinnati's offense enough that when Cincinnati's defense inevitably contains Temple's offense, uh, they can kind of match those points. I think that's going to be the biggest thing is they can't fall behind early and it's going to have to be, they're going to have to go pound for pound with them. Earlier, I talked about Rod Carey weighing in on Monday uh, about Desmond Ritter. And here's what he had to say about Cincinnati's quarterback, kind of tipping his cap to the, you know, the notion that he has steadily improved. And uh, again, as Dante said, I mean, a lot of people know he's a heck of a football player, uh, you don't hear people talking about him like you might talk about like a Malik, a Malik Willis at Liberty or one of the top, you know, guys that might be top picks. He's just been really solid and has progressed. And you'll hear Rod Carey here talking about how he's not always necessarily a highlight real guy, but he's just steadily improved. So here's Rod Carey talking about Desmond Ritter. Today's society is such a highlight film society that uh, we see a highlight and our mind is made up about someone or something uh, right then and there, either good or bad. Um, and it doesn't leave a lot of room for people to improve. And I think what you've seen on film from Ritter is um, he's playing at a high, high, high level. And that's because he's worked really hard in his craft. And uh, his team has worked really hard, too. So I don't, um, you know, that's what you'd expect from someone like that. And so he's uh, he was a good player. And now he's getting into that rarefire air of great player. All right. We want to go with uh, some predictions here. Dante, I'll start with you. Then we'll go with ah. Sam. Kyle, well, Kyle filed his already right in our shared, uh, our script here in the Google Doc. What do you say? Uh, 31-13 Cincinnati. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've got it 31-17 Cincinnati. Um, I think Temple keeps this a little bit closer than people are expecting. Uh, by the way, Temple 29-point dogs in this game. Um, I, th- I Do you guys think that's a <laughs> – I think that's a bit of an excessive – well, I, agree. I don't know. I guess 29. That is, that's, that's a bit of an excessive spread and I'm not trying to 
put Temple on on a a pedestal that they don't deserve to be on for for beating Memphis 34-31 last week. But I I just I, I'm with you, Dante. I, do I do I think they're going to win the game? I don't. But I don't I don't see them losing by 29. Yeah, me neither. So I, I think it's closer than people think. I think ultimately Cincinnati pulls away and they win by two scores, but I, I don't think it's going to be a complete blowout. I think I'd say 34-13 in my prediction with 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 Pat on the Fanatic. I could be wrong. Sam, anything, any wisdom to add here? Any before, new a new set of numbers you want to throw at us for the prediction? Before I leave for class, I'm going to take... Do it, predict a win. Come on. Since it, you know no. you want to. <laughs> <laughs> Magic, if I was the only one to predict a win and get it right. Stir no, the uh, pot, Sam. Stir the pot. Cincinnati 28, Temple 13. Nah, Temple 10. 28 10. Ooh. No, I'm going to shave three points off. Tell me, tell me what, what came into your mind where you're like, nah, I'm not going to give him 13. I'm going to drop him down to 10. What Kyle happened? 13. You told me to pick different numbers. <laughs> I didn't say different numbers. I, did um, I? No, I, I, think, I think they put one touchdown in, they get one like third quarter field goal, and they struggle to get deep into the red zone uh, for for a majority of this game. And, and Cincinnati's offense puts up what they need to put up to win the game. All right. As I mentioned at the outset of the show, Temple has its new athletic director and Arthur Johnson, a senior associate athletic director from Texas, uh, had been responsible for overseeing uh, facilities down there, a big football background, uh, again, we were the first to report last week that Temple had zeroed in on Arthur Johnson as its uh, as its top candidate. We had the chance to be at his introductory press conference this morning. We'll have a lot of coverage of uh, of Arthur Johnson as Temple's new athletic director. Again, he's replacing Fran Dunphy. Fran Dunphy, again, as we mentioned at the outset of the show, was in an acting interim role, had replaced Pat Kraft, who left last summer. Uh, no, not this, not this past summer, but two summers ago to go up to, to Boston college. So here's an excerpt from his press conference. Again, you can, you can check out coverage, uh, of that press conference on our site. Uh, we'll have stuff in the coming weeks. Hopefully we'll be able to sit down with him, uh, at some point for an interview, uh, today again, was in a more, uh, in a larger setting with his introduction, but here's an excerpt from his press conference today, uh, talking about his approach, and uh, we'll play this and uh, let you guys listen to this for a second. I'm just going and meeting with every staff member. I will sit down and uh, meet with every staff member and uh, you know, get their thoughts on Temple, what they, what's good, what's bad, what potential roadblocks they have uh, that may be in our way for success, what we're doing really good. I want to celebrate the things that we're doing really, really well and also work to make those things that we're not doing as good, find out why work through it but it's not just the staff i'll meet with campus leadership throughout campus i'll meet with donors alums trustees people in this north philadelphia community i want to go out and meet them and try to understand you know uh, what those relationships have been like all right again we will have more coverage of temple's new athletic director arthur johnson again there's stuff up on the site already from dante uh, keep checking back on the site uh, it'll be interesting to see how the Arthur Johnson era unfolds a temple at a time when, you know, there's name, image, and likeness. There's, you know, the whole issue of, of programs getting used to the transfer portal. I, again, I, I hate covering conference realignment because I, I never know what's going to happen. The Americans going to be looking to add some teams. Um, of course, any temple fan would love to see them get out of the American, get into a new conference. We know that is much, much easier said 
than done. So Arthur Johnson certainly comes to Temple at a, at a time where there will be a lot on his plate. So again, we'll have a lot more coverage uh, in the weeks to come. Let's go over to the Alscoop.com mailbag, the podcast mailbag. Again, these are questions coming from, coming from our uh, subscribers on the message boards. Uh, we'll check out the first one here from the message board comes from the screen name JHG722. Yeah, would love the question is would love to hear all your thoughts on the Arthur Johnson hire football specifically and everyone's favorite topic uh, off campus stadium and for the athletic department as a whole. Dante, I'll again, we, we don't know a, a, a ton about him other than it looks like, you know, Temple, Jason Wingard, Temple's new president, prioritized somebody uh, with Power Five experience here. Um, Dante, I know it's super, super early in his tenure. What, what do you, I mean, what do you think of the Arthur Johnson hire? I think it's interesting. Um, you know, like you mentioned at the, um, in the last segment, it's kind of like, you know, he's got a lot on his plate, right? Like there's a lot to deal with. You know, this, I, I kind of said this a couple of weeks ago, right? It's like, if you were going to not have an athletic director, or at least if you were going to have an acting athletic, this is like the wrong time to not have somebody. So I think it's good in general that they at least have someone in that role, someone responsible uh, for those things. Now to Arthur Johnson specifically, I do think it's interesting that he is a very football heavy background guy, right? Because that kind of tells me at least, again, we're, this is complete speculation. I, I, you know, I don't cover athletic directors at all, but you know, that tells me, you know, trying to read the tea leaves as best as I possibly can, like, you know, maybe they're leaning a little bit more into football, you know, they're, they're getting a guy with a, a big football background uh, from a big football school in Texas. Um, and you know what? He's going to have connections in the Big 12, like you said, for conference realignment. I don't know. I don't think Temple's going to get into the Big 12. Don't think they're going to get invited to the Big 12. That'd be outrageous. But, um, you know, he has connections there, right? Like that's something that they care about. And leaning into football is interesting, right? Temple typically viewed as more of a basketball school. I think that's fair to say, right? So um, getting a guy with a heavy football background is interesting, but I don't know. It, it's very speculatory. We'll see if they like really get their um, themselves in gear with NIL. It seems like they're a little bit behind some of the other Pennsylvania schools in that category. So we'll see if, you know, getting someone who's responsible for that, or at least a, a head person for the department, if that kind of kicks them into gear on that. And then the transfer portal will be really interesting about, you know, how do they market Temple to guys who, you know, it's much easier to transfer in and out now. Um, so how do you keep guys? How do you market Temple to players who are considering coming in? But yeah, I don't know. I don't know a ton about him. I just think it's interesting that he's a football guy because that tells me that, you know what, maybe they're leaning into football more than they are basketball. And again, you can you can hear there from the audio. I, I, again, I don't know the guy yet. Um, some people I I have talked to who know him say he's an incredibly nice guy, good connector of people. Uh, he's got a lot in front of him. You know, he has to be an outward facing athletic director now surround himself with a good staff you've got to fundraise. You have to figure out, you know, where is Temple's position with things moving forward? Again, again, we can't emphasize this enough. You, you don't just snap your fingers and get into a new conference. I don't know what the heck's going to happen there uh, to JHG's question about an off-campus stadium. I don't know. It's a different administration. Temple obviously thought that they were maybe at the 10 yard line, the five yard line to use a, an appropriate you know, football analogy there moving toward the goal line. And then they, they shelved it for a while. Um, you know, obviously it's a, it's a huge thing. It, it takes a lot of communication with, uh, with the community. I, I don't know 
where things stand with that right now. I mean, I think that that anybody in their heart of hearts surrounding the Temple football program would probably love to see the Owls get an on-campus stadium where they don't, you know, students don't have to hop on the subway, uh, go down to South Philly. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens there, what it means for the athletic department as a whole. I mean, just like anybody else, Arthur's going to have to come in and, and take a fresh look at things and see what can be improved. Uh, but he's got a, you know, he's got a lot on his, on a lot on his plate um, in terms of the hire in general. I think uh, we've been told by several people uh, that Buffalo's Mark Allen, that was a, was a candidate. Now he's a sitting athletic director at Buffalo. I'm told that he's an impressive guy. Billy King was a candidate out of the box guy, you know, former Sixers GM, former Nets GM, a, a super smart guy. And, and by all accounts, an incredibly nice human being. I don't know how that hire would have, would have uh, gone at a time like this, where you just, you need someone I think who really understands the world of college athletics at a time when so much has changed uh, for an outside the box hire that would have been interesting. So uh, again, I think it shows us that the Jason Wingard temples, new president, uh, must have, you know, must have obviously enjoyed him in the interview and, and must be prioritizing power five conference experience. Uh, you know, Mark Allen had experience from uh, Missouri earlier in his uh, early in his career had been at Memphis, but yeah, I mean, Jason Wingard and, and whoever the search committee was uh, took an, uh, an associate athletic director here and Arthur Johnson over a, a, a sitting athletic director. So um, it looks like they prioritize. We can we can only assume uh, you know power five uh, experience here. Uh, the next question from the mailbag comes from the screen name D Thomas ninety six. What is your guys' take on the twenty twenty two recruiting class, and should we expect more high school commits? Well, yes, of course, Temple fans should expect more high school commits because Temple only has five guys committed so far from the twenty two class, and that's Khalif Kemp. At defensive end, Kyle Lewis, uh, Akai Green uh, from North Jersey, Sam Martin from Staten Island at running back, and Reese Clark from St. Joe's Prep. Again, they got to keep all these guys committed. Again, these are non-binding verbal commitments. Uh, you know, I think Makai Green is a guy that you know. If you're, we've talked about this before with with Gabe Infante being the recruiting coordinator and him wanting to really get back to the way Temple used to recruit, which was staying in that kind of regional footprint kind of really stretching your wings out if you feel it's worth it to go into Chicago, go into Georgia or something like that. Makai Green's off to a great start at West Orange High School up in, in North Jersey. He's very fast, very, very fast if you watch him on film. And he's the type of player that I think Temple hopes, you know, again, with Temple, you're not going to, the herd mentality with recruiting is not going to work. You're not going to out-recruit Alabama, LSU. Most of the time, you're not going to out-recruit Penn State, you hope to maybe out-recruit Pitt every once in a while, Rutgers every once in a while, get guys into camp. That's what they're doing. So, yeah, they've kind of been stalled out for a little while at five verbals. I'm sure they will take more than five. Uh, they had some visitors in uh, this past weekend for the Memphis game. Always good for your recruits to see a win. Uh, but, yeah, I think it'll be a mix of – I don't know what their magic number is, to be honest with you, if it's 12 – 14 uh, high school players and maybe another five or six guys out of the portal that will obviously take shape a little bit later in the year, but yes, they will absolutely take, absolutely take more high school players. How many uh, I'm not completely sure uh, at this point, but uh, we'll see, you know, but again, recruiting is different now than it was uh, a couple of years ago with the transfer portal. Uh, but uh, I would say stay tuned to alscoop.com for our recruiting coverage 
Caden Steele has been doing a lot of recruiting coverage for us. Again, some on some 2023 guys in addition to some 22 players. But uh, again, we'll, as things kind of move into late October, excuse me, late October, early November, you know, obviously they don't want to be stuck on five players for a long time, but we'll see how things go there. It'll just be interesting again to see what their sweet spot is in terms of high school guys and how much room they're going to leave for transfer portal guys. But yeah, they won't be stuck on, or they shouldn't be stuck on five players for, for too long. So yes, you should D Thomas 96. You should expect more high school commits. Next question comes here from cool hand. Red is the screen name. The owls have gotten off to horrendous starts and most of the games played this year. Is there any specific thing that can be done to correct this? Well, yes, of course there is. There are things that you can uh, do to correct it. Dante, I'll kind of, we'll put a, a narrower focus on this. We'll look at Friday's game appropriately enough. Again, it comes against a really, really tough opponent. How do you avoid a slow start at Cincinnati? Is it just as simple as, uh, you talked before about how Temple really kind of, Jeff Knowles seems to really prioritize uh, keeping guys in front of them. Um, you know, and obviously this is a both sides of the ball thing, but if in your mind's eye, if we're, let's, let's try to keep this realistic. And I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer here or a wet blanket, but let's say Temple loses the game. We're on next week's podcast. And let's say they lose 31 to 20 or something like that. So I think scoring 20 points against this team would be pretty impressive. And we're looking back and we're saying they didn't get off to a slow start. They actually got off to a solid start. What does a solid, not slow start look like to you? Is it, oh, they're establishing the run a little bit earlier. Edward Sadie popped off a couple of runs. They got... Trey Blair involved in the, in the, in the screen game a little bit, or they got, uh, you know, Randall Jones is back and they got him involved out on the perimeter. What does a non-slow start look like to you? Again, there are obviously things that they can do and have to do to correct this stuff. What would a non-slow start or a better temple start look like to you? If you looking at this game again, tough one to look at, but what could they be doing that they're not doing? Yeah, I think um, there's two answers. There's the big picture. And then there's the kind of the small picture. The big picture is, um, it would be cool if they could score some points in the first quarter. <laughs> I don't think they've done that this year. Um, so I, I think, right, like drive the ball down the field, put in the end zone. I, that would be cool. So that that's kind of the big picture. Um, they just seem to come out like very uninspired on offense. It just seems like, right, it's a first down run for like two yards. Then it's like a jet pass for like three yards. And then Mathis comes out and it's like third and seven and, nobody's open and he just kind of throws the ball somewhere. And it was kind of the same way with Lynch too, right? So they just seem like they come out and they don't have a lot of, a lot of juice or they're just not executing quite well. Um, I don't know if that is like, that's just not them. You know um, I asked, I had pretty much asked Rod Carey this question. I think after the Wagner game, maybe before the Wagner game, I was like, how do you fix this? Like what, you know, what goes into that? And he kind of said, he was like, well, you know, you like to think that you can coach your way out of it, but sometimes these guys just have to experience this and kind of do it themselves. It's basically what he said. I'm paraphrasing. That's essentially what he said. So um, I, I kind of agree with Coach Carey. I, I just think that at a certain point, they're going to have to figure it out for themselves how to turn that around. I think we might have solved the kind of the beginnings of that, right? Because, you know, it's not like they it took them into the second half to get back into that game. They tied Memphis at halftime, right? So like that was even, you know, a you know, an improvement as far as them getting started. Um, but yeah, you got to score some points in the first quarter if you're going to compete in this game and you can't let Cincinnati get out there 14, nothing at the end of one and, and then, you know, try and claw your way back in. They're not going to let you that defense is too good. So 
what can they do? Um, you know, I don't know, maybe you come out and you try and, you know, you run a flea flicker on the first play, try and catch them off guard. Like, I don't know, like you got to come out and you got to try something different. Um, I think is what I'm getting at here. All right. Uh, the next mailbag question here, uh, comes from the screen name. What, what to you, the question is what part of the offense still has the most to prove at this point of the season. And why was Justin Lynch in for two plays, at the goal line, that was a popular question. Pat Egan asked me that question today when I did my interview with uh, 97.5 The Fanatic. Fans are obviously asking that one well. But before we get to, to that question, Dante, what part of the offense still has the most to prove at this point of the season? I think it is probably a tie between the O-line and the running backs. Um, mm-hmm. And the only reason I want to say it's a tie is because their performances kind of go hand in hand right? Like if the offensive line isn't playing well, then the running backs aren't going to look too great. Uh, And then kind of vice versa, if the running backs are, you know, screwing up the holes or they're, they're false stepping at the mesh point, like the offensive line's not going to look good. Um, And I think specifically with run blocking, and this is a problem that we saw kind of carry over from last season, Temple's offensive line was experienced, but they weren't very good at run blocking last year either. And I don't think they're very good at it now. They just don't generate a lot of push, frankly, Uh, just not a lot of movement. And then on the running backs, I mean, I think Edward Sadie's been fine um there's just not a lot of explosive runs um you know it just kind of seems like it's very very difficult for this team to run the ball kind of feels like that they're running it for the sake of running it versus that's an effective part of our offense so um i I would say those are the two groups off the top of my head so that second part again a popular question if you're temple you're five games into the season so you're you're past that four game threshold for red shirting a guy they brought in Justin Lynch twice in those goal line packages, both times, neither play yielded anything. What, why do you, why do you bring it in? Or excuse me, why do you bring him in? Pat asked me this question. I said, well, you know, you, you can still, you could redshirt him next season. Again, this is a bunch of what ifs and hypotheticals. You know, if Dwan Mathis is back next year, which I, I wouldn't see any reason why he wouldn't be, you know, maybe Mariano Valente is your backup, or maybe you go out and get like an experienced guy in the portal as a, as a depth guy. And then maybe you say to Justin Lynch, Hey, we're, we're going to redshirt you this year. You got some experience. We, we kind of threw you into the fire as a true freshman. Uh, why, why bring him in there? I, I wish I would have asked Rod that in the post-game presser, John, I'm yeah. going to be honest. I yeah, really it's kind of I a, it is kind of a blind spot. I don't think anybody's really asked about no, it. Right? No, not, on, not, on, it. not only on, on Saturday, uh, but even I think in, I know you were in Monday's presser. Uh, I was not, but I don't think he's really been asked about that. Right. Mm-hmm. No, nobody did. I think we just all like collectively forgot about it because the, in, the rest of the game was like Dewan Mathis throwing the ball around the yard. So I think we just like collectively forgot that was a thing that happened as media members. But my initial reaction was that maybe they didn't want Dewan taking another hit, right? Like that, that was my immediate reaction um, because when you're in the red zone, right, you're doing QB run in the red zone. It you can't like get out of bounds. Like you're going to take a hit unless it's like a very wide open hole and you just kind of stroll into the end zone and the defense kind of like, eh, well, crap, you know, like, you're going to take a hit in the end zone probably. And like Lynch did get hit. I think both times he ran the ball, he got popped. So um, I, I think that, like you said, uh, they can redshirt him next season. I don't know what that looks like, if that's going out and getting another guy or if that's just, you know, letting Mariano Valenti be the backup next year. Uh, obviously, if Dewan stays. But um, my initial reaction was that, okay, they don't want Dewan taking another hit and they still feel good about Lynch's ability um, 
to push the ball into the end zone. I don't think that that's a habit that they should get into. Uh, Dewan is significantly bigger and he's significantly faster. There's no, there's no reason to put Lynch on the field. Lynch is a fine runner. I mean, there's nothing wrong with him running the ball, but I, I think you're better served having Dewan Mathis make those decisions. Um, even if, and we saw it too, even on the next play, right? They got him on the run and then he flipped it over the top to blue for the touchdown. So I think that's a package that I would not be employing personally. Um, but I, I, my initial reaction is that they didn't want Dewan taking another hit. Yeah, could be. Maybe we'll, uh, I mean, it almost kind of almost seem untimely if we uh, ask after Friday night's game, hey, going back to, <laughs> going back to last week, unless they, unless they try the same thing, you know, Friday night in Cincinnati, if they get down there and they bring in, bring in Justin Lynch again, but uh, no, good question. Fair question here. Uh, again, the, the screen name there is what, what to you? Good question. A fair question. We, I honestly don't know. And haven't asked about it. So again, kind of a blind spot all around for all the reporters there who haven't asked about it. Uh, final question we have here from the mailbag is from Park Owls, the screen name, uh, kind of a fun one. Which Temple men's basketball player would make the biggest impact if added to the Temple football roster? Dante, you have any Oh, idea you gotta, you gotta bail me out. I gotta look at the Temple basketball roster. I didn't we didn't have the questions pre-show. I mean, I don't oh. I don't know. Do you throw in like, do you take Emmanuel Akpomo, all six foot 10 of them and say, Hey, we're going to try to turn you into a super tall project left tackle. Um, is uh, a true freshman coming in like Hysir Miller, uh, a great guy out of the backfield who's just tough and can, you know, I mean, I see her, everybody described him as he's really tough. He's really tough. But then as his senior season kept going on the summer prior to his senior season, people were like, oh, he's not just tough. He can really play. He can really score, get to the rim. I could see Hysir Miller as maybe a crafty guy out of the backfield who could catch passes out of the backfield. Um, I don't know if. Uh... I got my answer. Yeah. What's your answer? I'm kind of rambling right. here. A fun me... question. I, I, don't, I don't really know, but I want to hear what you're going to say. Uh, give me, give me Jeremiah Williams at corner, six foot five, one eighty five. He's got vines for arms. Press man corner. Give me, give me that cover three press. Jeremiah Williams at corner. How many uh, six five corners do you see? I like it. Not that many. It's usually like six four and below. But like yeah. you know, we'll we'll take it. You know, we'll get him pressing at the line. We'll get him beating dudes up at the line. He won't have to change directions too much. We'll be all right. Do you see? Uh, the only other thought I could think of, like I'm just trying to come up with like analogies here. You know, Damian Don is kind of this steady guy. He gets to the line. He's one of the areas of his game that he's trying to develop is to continue to try to draw contact, get crafty, shot fake guys and stuff like that. I could maybe Damian Don is like a uh, possession guy in the slot or something like that. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. I don't know. I I mean, I just, you know, I mean, what the heck? So uh, like the question there, uh, maybe we'll let that one marinate, but, uh, yeah, I like the question there. It was a pretty good one. Uh, thanks for tuning in again this week, everybody. Hope everyone is doing well uh, out there and uh, hanging in and enjoying some good football. We will be back next week with another podcast talking about the outcome of this Temple football game. Again, the Owls are playing at Cincinnati on Friday night at 7 o'clock. That's a 7 o'clock uh, kickoff. It's nationally televised on ESPN. So, again, by far the biggest test to date 
of the season for the Owls. Eventually, we're going to start talking more basketball as the season gets closer, get you guys some guests, get you some insight there. This will make Sam Cohn happy. Uh, Big thanks to Dante and Sam for being with me again this week. Maybe we'll have Kyle with us next week, and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon.